We've been considering together great stories from God's Word. And today we turn our attention to Exodus chapter 3. And this is the second book in the Old Testament. So if you'll make your way there, I'll read the passage here in just a moment. The message today is entitled, When God Calls. And we're going to think particularly about what happens when God calls. What does it look like for God to place a directive on our lives for us to serve him, for us to be useful to him in his kingdom? You see, the call of God ultimately is the initiative of God to bring people to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, and then to lead them to be participants in making his glory known in the world. So it's a call to God himself, and then it's a call to be sent to live for God. So now as we think of that, as I'll mention a little bit later in the message, only to be for particular people, like people who are in vocational ministry or missionaries or some particular call that we would identify as a special call. But the reality is God calls all of us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And whatever our context or particular setting or particular giftings are in life, all of those things are to be used to make the glory of God known in the world. Moses' story is a follow-up to the story of Joseph's life at the end of Genesis. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and as you remember, was the favorite son. His brothers were jealous of him, and they originally were going to kill him, but instead they sold him into slavery. They sold him to a caravan of traders who took him down to Egypt and sold him off in service to the Pharaoh and to the Pharaoh's household. Through a series of events, Joseph was freed from slavery, and he rose to the position of what was effectively the prime minister of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. He was able to prepare the people of Egypt for a time of famine that was coming. And during the first seven years of the preparation, they stored up grain storage that would serve them well in the time of the lean years. The famine would not only take place in that region, but would affect all the way back to Canaan. And the reason that was important is because Canaan was where Joseph's family was. That's where they had remained after they sold him off into slavery. And the Pharaoh at the time respected Joseph so much for what he had done for Egypt that he permitted him to bring his whole family down to Egypt during that time. And they came and he gave them what was effectively the best land. They were able to choose what was the most choice land for themselves. And there were about 70 of the family members that came down, but those 70 family members would quickly multiply. So for a period of about 400 years, the Israelites increased, they were fruitful, uh, they multiplied, they became extremely uh, numerous in the land to the point that the Pharaoh uh, that did not know Joseph was threatened by their presence. Their number had risen from 70 to approximately 2 million. This was a huge number of people by this time. And a new king or a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph rose to power 
and all of the blessings and all of the particular allowances that had been given to him began to fade away. This new king was insecure about the Hebrews, as I said, because of their number and because of their influence. So he went through this series of thoughts and actions that he thought was going to do something to be able to kind of oppress them and push them back. So plan A was he tried to wear them down. He thought, well, I'll just cause them to work to the point that they'll stop multiplying like they are. So the Hebrews labored under hardship, but yet God continued to bless them. You understand that in life, it's not the hardship or the oppression that defines us. What defines us is the hand of God on our lives. So I would say to you, whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever challenging circumstance you're going through, that's not what defines you. It's the power of God that is at work in your life that is empowering you to do what God has called you to do that ultimately matters. So plan B for this new Pharaoh was he decided he was just going to kill all the newborn sons of Israel, but the midwives who delivered the babies were more loyal to God than they were to the new king. And they risked their own lives to save these little babies. And as a result of that, God blessed them. So his plan C was that he would try to annihilate them once again by just having them cast into the river, but it was through the divine intervention that this little baby named Moses would be born. And as the story goes, Moses' parents hid him and guarded him for three months, but the time came that they could not hide him any longer. So his mother tarred a small basket and took him and set him afloat in the river among the reeds. They chose a place where Pharaoh's daughter would regularly come to bathe. And the daughter of the man who had issued the death warrant for these Hebrew boys heard the cry of this baby and she felt sorry for him. She had pity on him. So Miriam, Moses' sister, brought Moses' mother who took her little boy back and nursed him and raised him for several years. So in effect, she was chosen and even compensated in a sense to do what was naturally hers to be done to begin with. According to Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, Moses was beautiful in God's sight. He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in speech and actions. Now, I want you to just get that in context. He was beautiful, man, he was handsome. He had a presence about him. I can imagine the dark glow, perhaps, of his skin and his physical presence. He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, which was the best education of the day. And ultimately, even though he didn't think he was when he started, he was also very powerful in speech and in actions. These are all qualities that God would use to raise up a man to be useful to him in his kingdom to be able to carry out his purposes. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 and following that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. So in the midst of all of this, this man named Moses would ultimately lay aside 
the opportunity to become heir to the throne of Egypt, and he chose suffering over sin. He chose rejection over worldly honor, and God used him in that call, and he ultimately rewarded him. So some time passed, and in Moses' life, one day he observed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. As the story goes, this was one of his own people, and he was incensed about it, and he killed the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. After this, he saw two Hebrews fighting. So he goes up in his righteous indignation about these two Hebrews who were fighting, and he asked the one in the wrong what he was doing. Well, the man challenged him and said, are you going to kill me like the Egyptian? You see, he had been seen for what he had done. So we might note almost as a parenthesis here or a precursor to this entire story is that God doesn't just use perfect people because there are no perfect people. God uses called people. He empowers them. And through his forgiveness and through his purposes, he carries out his will. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Moses. So word got out and the Pharaoh found out and Moses ran for his life to the land of Midian. It would be there in Midian that he would marry Zipporah, the daughter of the priest. After a long time, the king of Egypt died, but the people were still oppressed. So here for this 40 year window of time, Moses is leading the quiet life of a shepherd. And then we pick up in Exodus chapter 3, where God came to Moses at the burning bush. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of God appeared to him in a flame, the angel of the Lord, a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you when you bring the people out of Egypt. 
you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. So let's just set the scene here. Moses was minding his own business. I'll warn you that the call of God often comes when you're minding your own business. It might be when you're least expecting it. He's shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He had led his flock to the far side of the wilderness to Horeb, the mountain of God, when God appeared to him. And what I want us to see here is several things that take place when God calls and how it is that God works out his call. And I want you to listen well because perhaps you've already discerned God's call for your life and you're pursuing that with passion. I commend you. But many times there are adjustments to the call of God as well. And we have to be following God, drawing near to him, listening to him, and he'll direct our path as he so desires. But it could just be that some of you are a little bit earlier on, either in your journey with Christ or in your life's path, and you're seeking the call of God. You are desiring to know what is it that God has for my life? How can God use me in whatever vocation I'm in, whatever family circumstances I find myself in, whatever context of life I'm in, how can God use me and how is God going to call me to do that? The first truth I want you to see here is that when God calls, it is through an appointment. When God calls, it is through an appointment. Here in verse 2, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. Now, this must have been a pretty amazing sight. There have been some people in their own foolishness that said this was just some particular type of bush and it was a particular time uh, time of year and it just appeared to be glowing and it didn't in fact glow or burn as the scripture says that it did. And I'd say that's nonsense because God is the God of miracles. How would it be hard for the God who can call creation into being by his spoken word to cause something like this to happen as a sign to one of his servants. Moses sees the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he takes a walk to go over and to look at it. Now Moses would write later on in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 16, that it was God himself who dwelt in the bush. So it was not just in this moment when Moses recognized that it was the Lord who was in that bush. It was the Lord's presence that was there in that holy ground. Later on, when Moses would write about it, it was in reference to the fact that God met with him there in that place. You see, we have these moments in life where God meets with us through the power of his spirit. We're confronted with his word. We are presented with a need. We are given a direction. And it's in those moments that God has set the appointment. And it's the bush that revealed the power of God. It revealed the glory of God. And it also revealed the holiness of God. 
Now, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush. Now, just imagine this is getting deeper here because here is Moses seeing this miracle in front of his eyes where this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And then the voice of almighty God comes to his ears and he says, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. He answers back to the Lord and God told him not to get any closer, but to take his sandals off because it was on that place that he was standing on holy ground. There was nothing particularly special about that ground in and of itself. What made it special was that the presence of God was there. And he revealed himself to Moses in verse 6 as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now it's interesting that God would reveal himself as intimately with Moses as he did with any human being that is recorded in the Bible. But it all began here by God reminding Moses who he was. And he's appealing here to his covenant nature. He's reminding Moses that he had not forgotten his own people. He had not forgotten the covenant that he had made with Israel. He had not forgotten them, even though they had found themselves in slavery. He was still at work preserving and multiplying the nation. And here was God coming down. And God was going to deliver the people out of the hand of the Egyptians. And he was going to set them on a journey that was going to take them to the promised land. Now watch this. God could have done all of that by himself. He did not need human beings. In fact, there is nothing that is impossible with God that is in keeping with his character. And even today, God could perfectly carry out his will in the world. And he could do his work. And he could accomplish his kingdom agenda. But yet he chooses to use people like us, imperfect people. And he calls us through an appointment to himself. What I want you to notice here about this appointment is that, first of all, the appointment in our lives as New Testament Christians is first a call to salvation. So you see, it's a call to be forgiven of our sins and to come into a relationship with God in Christ And it was Jesus who said in John chapter 6 and verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So none of us would even know that we were lost were it not for the seeking action of God calling us to an appointment with himself. None of us would know that we needed to be saved unless God had sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. So the appointment of God is the call to salvation. It's the call to know God himself. And then the appointment of God is the call to sanctification. It's not just to be saved, but it's to be set apart. And I think what God was saying here to Moses was, listen, this is holy ground and I am a holy God and I am calling you and I am raising you up to do something for me, but it's going to be in my covenant keeping power and it's going to be according to my holy character. And that's why God calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12, and to present ourselves holy and pleasing to God because that's our spiritual worship. 
And I'd probably do well at this point to say that there are many who have heard the call to salvation, but for whatever reason, their usefulness in the kingdom of God has been short-circuited because they've not also understood that it's a call to sanctification or to be set apart from God. You cannot answer the call of God and live just like the world lives. If you answer the call of God, you're going to be called out of darkness and into light. And you're going to live in such a way that sometimes people are going to look at you and they're going to see that there's something different about you, but they're not going to see that in a positive way. They're going to see that in a negative way because you're not walking lockstep with the world. Friend, it doesn't matter whether or not you're walking lockstep with the world. What matters is whether or not you're walking lockstep with God, saved sanctified, and then the appointment of God is the call to service. How can it be that people could say, yes, I've been saved, yes, I love God, and then sit back and do nothing to glorify God or to make him known in the world? Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. So you see, all of this goes together. We're rescued from our sin. We are transformed by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. We are sent to be able to serve God. And we follow that call on our lives through that appointment that God has made with us. And it's through obedience that God gives us a special purpose for him. This appointment to God is ultimately to a, to a special purpose. Your life is going to be different than mine. And your life is going to be different than your family members. And your giftings are going to be unique as they fit into the body of Christ. And the vocation and the natural abilities that God has created you with, those are going to be unique. And I think we've done a poor job in the church of helping people understand that God's call comes in the uniqueness of life. It's not one certain type of person that he uses. No, God can use you in whatever status of life you're in. And he'll call you to whatever his special purpose is for your life. And I've observed two extremes at times when thinking of the call of God. One, as I mentioned earlier, is to think of the call of God being only for a particular group, like a vocational minister or a missionary. And then something I've seen in recent years is the denial that there's any such thing as a call of God at all. There's such a generalization of the call of God that people act as though there's no pattern of the calling of God in Scripture. And yet, time and time again, God finds people in the ordinary circumstance of their life, and he sets them on a purpose. He sets them on a journey. And we see that in examples throughout history of God calling ordinary people to do extraordinary things. If you know anything about church history in more modern times, the name Fanny Crosby would be familiar to you, particularly if you are familiar with the great hymns of our faith in the recent century. Fanny Crosby was born to a Methodist family in 1820, and she became blind when she was six years, six weeks old, rather. And it was very unusual circumstances. She had some sort of problem with her eyes. The regular doctor was out of town, and a stand-in who was not actually a doctor at all treated her, if you can imagine this, with hot mustard. 
some type of concoction that he had put together. He puts it into the eyes of this little baby and she struck blind as a result of it. A few months later, her father died and Fanny was raised primarily by her Christian grandmother. It was her grandmother who introduced her to the Bible. And through the influence and the encouragement of a woman named Mrs. Hawley with whom they lived, Fanny began memorizing passages of scripture in the Bible and the poetry in the book spoke to her. As the story goes, from an early age, she memorized five chapters of the Bible a week. And she began to write hymns and was gifted by God by the end of her life at the age of 95, blind, unable to see 9,000 hymns that have profoundly impacted the church, particularly in the last 150 years. So I ask you, do you believe that God has a special purpose for each person's life? And the answer is yes. That call is unique to every person, but every call shares those characteristics. And it was the same with Moses. God saved him. He set him apart. He called him to serve him, and he gave him a special purpose. And then the second truth I want you to see here is that when God calls, it is by an announcement. It's not just an appointment, but it's by an announcement. Look again in verse 7. God said... I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them. So here's what God said. God said, I've observed it. In other words, I see the problem. He says, I've heard their cries. And he says, I know the issue. And here's the theme. God had not forgotten his people. God never forgets his people. God never forgets his promises. And God always acts according to his purposes. So here he was coming down to deliver them and he's announcing it. We often think of a call as what we're going to do for God. But the Bible speaks more to our calling to God and then our purpose for God. And the announcement of the call comes through the word of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been called to be ambassadors for Christ. So just as God said here, I've observed it. I see the situation. I've heard their cries. I know what's going on. I know the situation. God says to us through his word, you are ambassadors. You are ministers of reconciliation. Why? Because God has observed the plight of the people who don't know him. He hears the cries of the lost. And he knows their eternal destiny apart from his grace. And yet God uses people like us. And he calls us through the announcement of his word to us by the spirit. And the word inspires us with a vision for the world and our role in it. When we see the lostness of the world and the coming judgment and we see the love of Jesus, it compels us to make him known because Jesus died for sinners. We are made alive in him and we are called to live so that others might also know him. Now, I give you a word of caution here. When you think about a special call and hearing the announcement of God, uh, we need to be sure that the call is indeed consistent with God's word and is from God and is not of our own making. I've seen this through the years with people who have 
pursued a ministry calling in the church and they were certain that God had called them to a certain vocational role in the church and time just did not bear that out, either through their own character or through their lack of giftings or through their ability to serve in the way that they thought God had called them. And there's a funny old story about a young farmer that was standing out in the field and he was observing a a cloud formation and the clouds formed the letters G-P-C. This young farmer was certain that it was a call from God and he thought that that GPC formation that he saw was a message to go preach Christ. So he rushes back to the church and he tells the deacons of the church and that he had been called to preach and he insisted that he fill the pulpit. So that Sunday he preached and unfortunately his message was long and it was tedious and by all reports it was incoherent. He met with the deacons after and they sat there in silence. Nobody's wanting to crush the young man. And finally, one of the older deacons spoke up and he said, son, it seems to me that those clouds were not saying, go preach Christ. They were saying, go plant corn. So be careful what you think the clouds are saying. Be careful that it's a call from God to do something for him and it's not your own. Because the, the announcement of the call originates from God. And God called people all through Scripture. Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Amos. Jesus called the 12 disciples to be with him and sent them to the nations. The Holy Spirit called Saul and Barnabas. You know something I've noticed in the Scripture? Nobody appointed themselves. You ever notice that? that they didn't appoint themselves. It was, it was God who called them. And it was through their giftings that the people of God recognized the calling. And it's the same today. God calls us. He calls us by way of announcement through his word and through his spirit. And then the people of God affirm it. Then in fact, that's what is happening in our lives. And the announcement of the call is often unpredictable. And it requires faith. Saul of Tarsus said, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Certainly not someone we would choose to be the greatest human missionary who has ever existed. The announcement of the call is often seemingly to the impossible. God says to Noah, build a boat. It had never rained. God says to Gideon, reduce your warriors down to just a fraction of what you had and go up against this great army into battle. God says to Elijah, face down a wicked king and his representatives. God says to Paul, after he strikes him down and and prepares him, go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the wicked. And the announcement of the call of God is unique to the circumstances and the expectations of the call are unique to our lives. And we've got to be listening for the announcement from God. Are you listening to his word and to his spirit? And that leads me to the third truth here. When God calls, it is to an assignment. Look look again here in chapter 3 and verse 10. He tells Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then Moses began to ask the questions that most God-called servants have asked in one form or fashion in their lives. 
He gives him the excuse, first of all, I have no ability. Who am I? God says, I'll be with you. Have you ever thought that in your life? God, how could you use me? Who, who am I? And God says, I'll be with you. Maybe Moses was humbled that the Lord would select him to stand before the Pharaoh, but he's also questioning his own identity and his own significance. And I will tell you, if you are out there freewheeling, doing your own thing, in your own strength, in your own way, and on your own path, when you ask that question, who, I, who, who am I, you're not going to get a very good answer because it's all about you and it's not about God. The point of the call is that it's about God sending you to an assignment. And if God sends you to the assignment, he will give you what you need to accomplish it. And God's promise that he would go with Moses allowed Moses to see that the task did not depend on his own strength. But then excuse number two, if I go and they ask me, who sent me essentially? What is his name? What should I tell them? And God said, I am who I am. Here's what Moses was thinking. I'm going to go to this Pharaoh who follows after these Egyptian gods. And I've got to tell him something. I have to have some type of authority. And God says, I am who I am. His sacred, revered, eternal name. The most powerful name of God that there is. The eternally self-existent God who is past, present, and future all at once. And remember, this is the same way that Jesus identified himself as the I am, the eternal God. Excuse number three, I have no authority. What if they won't believe me and won't obey me? And they say to me, the Lord didn't appear to you. He carries this discussion into chapter four. And in order to prove the validity of Moses' claims, God gave him a sign. And he would be able to take his staff and he would be able to throw it down and it would turn into a snake as authentication of his power and then to be able to take it up again. He would also be able to put his hand in the cloak and bring it back out and it would appear as though it had leprosy and then it would appear as though it didn't because God's miraculous power in his life. And here's the deal. Here's the ultimate thing. If the question is asked, whose authority? I, I don't have any authority to do this. What if they don't listen to me? What's well, ultimately not about you. It's about God's authority. You're going in God's authority. When you verbalize a witness for Jesus Christ, it's not in your ability to convince somebody or to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. Remember, it's God who calls out of darkness and into light. You are just a mouthpiece. And God will use your willingness to serve him. And even so, excuse number four was Moses said, I, I have no eloquence as the discussion continues. Apparently Moses had some type of speech impediment and didn't feel comfortable in speaking in front of the Pharaoh. And God reminded him that he had created mouths and everything else that humans have. And apparently God did a pretty good job in Moses' life because Stephen said in Acts chapter 7, that he spoke with eloquence. He spoke with clarity in leading the people of God. It can be easy to use our weakness as an excuse, but God isn't limited by our weaknesses. It'd be easy for us to use our struggles as an excuse not to serve God, but God is not limited by our struggles. 
We could use our own lack of strength as an excuse, but God is not limited by our strength. But then ultimately, Moses is honest with God in excuse number five. And he says basically to him, I don't have any desire to go. Now, I think anybody that has served God in the long term has had those feelings. And they've heard that call and they're like, Lord, send somebody else. I mean, if we're honest about it, we can be spiritual about it and we can put on our Sunday face. But I'm going to tell you right now, there have been mornings that I've woken up and I said, Lord, couldn't you just send somebody else? This is too hard. I don't know that I can do it. And God says, do what I've asked you to do. Keep your hand to the plow. And that's exactly what he told Moses to do. No matter what the excuses were, God said, I'll be with you. And God would use this man to save the entire Israelite nation from slavery in Egypt. So here's my question for you, and really my statement. Who knows what God could do in your life if you stopped making excuses and you answered, yes, Lord, when the call of God comes to you? What is it right now that God is calling you to, to step out on faith, to, to not just go through the motions like you're going through the motions, but to step out on faith? What's God calling you to if you would just say, yes, how could God use your life for his glory? I'll give you this statement and I'm going to close. When God calls, we should answer in obedience and move forward in faith. Tony Evans, the preacher, said, if you want to know your calling, don't go calling looking, go God looking. God knows where he wants you, what he's calling you to do, when he wants you to do it, and how he wants it done. Therefore, if you want to find your calling, look for God. And when you find God, his calling will find you. God's calling for your life then will be experienced out of your relationship with him. And if there is no relationship, you will not come to know what your calling is all about. And I remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27. He said, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Now, now listen for yourself in this passage. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Doesn't that speak volumes to the church that we're looking for those who are wise in the world's ways and we're looking for those that are powerful in the world's ways and God is saying, I'm looking for people who might seem foolish to the world, who might seem weak and useless to the world and I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to draw them to myself and I'm going to send them into the world to make my glory known. And for that, I say to the Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you would call people like us to make your glory known. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Perhaps the Spirit has spoken to someone here. It might be something as simple as 